shapeshifters hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher, and here, as always, with Tom. Tom, how have you been? I'm a little injured lately. <laughs> <laughs> injured? Yes, injured. I hurt my foot one day a couple of weeks ago while on a run, and then literally this past weekend on a run um, in the dark. That was my first mistake. Uh, Found out that they don't necessarily build the road deck near a railroad track as far as you would kind of hope them to do. (laughs) So at a full tilt run, uh, I dipped my left leg into a hole, essentially, and went end over end and took off most of the skin on my left knee. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah, so it's been fun. How are you? Yeah, good times. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm okay follow-up from a previous show mm-hmm. uh, when we talked about uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Yes. I mentioned that I had requested the uh, a collection of the graphic novel and an anime that was based on the characters. Yes. Uh, from the library, but they hadn't come in, at, at the time of recording. Well, it came about a week after or so. Okay. And so I, I got into that a little bit. I, I read the first Two three stories that were that was in this uh, it was like the what are they called like volume one of Valerian and Loreline you know the, of the original comics from the 1960s sure they were you know fine it, they are 1960s comics sure yeah 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 you're good and uh, they feel that way they're kind of silly they're kind of goofy uh, the, the 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 drawing is like you expect from a 1960s art's not comic. super sophisticated it's very campy right. yes yes ex- ex- exactly the only problem if you want to call it that kind of issue i had with it that there is some panels that and i think this is probably just lost in translation sort of thing is or just the opposite added in translation <laughs> is there are some panels where it's just so wordy and it's like skip <laughs> you just, you, you, I, I'll admit it. I'm not reading the entire thing because it's just this panel is taken up with like 75 percent of this panel is taken up with word balloon and just this giant two three paragraphs of text. I'm like, was this like in French? It's like three words, and in English you have to like <laughs> <laughs> you got to use multiple sentences to get something across. Uh, Nothing like Captain Exposition existing in a comic book. <laughs> yeah, it might be that's what it was. I, I don't know. It just, there were those times where it's just, I'm not reading all of it. It's a comic book. <laughs> this should be flip, look at the pictures, fifth, bang, boom. <laughs> well, and, and, and see, that's the part with comics. Uh, sophisticated or not, um, you're supposed to communicate as much visually more so, in fact, than you do in... in I mean, it, the 
the thought the the balloons are supposed to be actual either thoughts being portrayed or dialogue being portrayed. It's not supposed to be an in-depth novel. <laughs> yes. And I so yeah, I don't know if that was just the way it was in the 1960, 1965, 66, whatever it was, or, or like I said, it's just because that's how you have to word it in English versus in the original French. Interesting. Okay. But, I mean, I, I read through the uh, this volume one, which, I like I said, I think had like the like three full stories in it. Yeah. Am I going to bother getting the other two volumes that are available? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of interested in maybe I'd be more interested in seeing what happened like in like later editions. I don't know how far Volume Three gets. Uh, yeah. I, as I understand it, it was something that was published for years. So I'd be really interested to see, you know, something like okay, what did what did it look like in the seventies? Right. Yeah. Or what did it look like in the eighties? Uh, that sort of thing. See if maybe you can find a smattering through time and. Yeah. Plug in randomly and see if it evolves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see anything of our movie in uh, in what you read? Yes. Okay. Yes, the the, the very basics. I think the, the actual movie lifted from a couple different stories. Yeah. And there was at least one story in uh in that volume that had shades of what we saw in the film. Interesting. Dipping a little bit into this anime that was created mm-hmm. uh, for it, it's okay. It's I'm finding it hard to like. Okay, <laughs> am I liking this? I think I'm liking this, but <laughs> I'm not sure. There's for one thing, uh, the English dub the voice actors. Yeah, the actor they have for Valerian. Mm-hmm. I don't care for the voice. Oh, gotcha. A little bit like we were complaining about in the film, where we felt like the character should be older in the film. Yeah. In this, they are very young. Okay. And he's like, he's like midshipman on his first mission at the beginning of this anime. So yeah, he, he, they're supposed to be like twenty something teenagers, sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of digging it, but I don't know if I'm. It's, it's the weirdest thing. I'm digging it, but I don't know if I like it. <laughs> Yeah, are you in, into this because you just want to get something out of it, or do you actually like it? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's an it's an odd one. I think I will definitely have to try to get you to uh, to watch some of these okay. and see what your thoughts on them are. Okay, willing to give that a shot. <laughs> there's stuff I like, and I I think maybe it's just there's hints of things that you you think well, that's actually kind of cool and oh I, they did that okay that's interesting and there's other things where it's like wow that's kind of looney tunish where did that come from and then like i said there are some some issues with some of the uh the voice work i think casting is everything and it's always tough when you're gonna have to dub versus just do subtitles I, I will say that the uh, level of animation and everything is really good. Oh, really? Okay. I actually, I actually do like the uh, the style. I, I wanted to. Um, I just had to look up real quick. The, the thing uh, is technically the whole thing's called Time Jam, Valerian and Laureline. and this was done in uh, 2007, 2008. The animation is very early 2000s, 
I think it looks kind of nice. Here's a little mix of um, little mix of CGI. Okay. But most of it is uh, most of it, I believe, is actual drawn cells. It's cell animation or not. Hmm. But th- there's times where, like, you see the ship flying through space. You're like, that is definitely computer generated. Gotcha. Uh, the rest of it, I I feel was probably uh, standard anim, you know, normal regular animation. Drawn cell animation. Mm-hmm. As as you would see in the early two thousands, not the not talking uh, Flintstones or uh, <laughs> Tom and Jerry. Uh, the one that I always go back to is like the original Spider-Man cartoon where it was clear that they just took a cell <laughs> and just slid it across the screen. <laughs> yes. No, it's definitely better than that. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so yeah, there there may be a little bit again issues with translation. Gotcha. I think I want like justification for liking it by having someone else watch it and like tell me whether or not they like it. <laughs> I will see what I can do to help you out. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Uh, that's all I've been uh, been getting into. Uh, haven't really watched anything of note that I, I wanted to talk about. I, and I haven't gotten into too much, but uh, I did this past weekend. Uh, I decided, uh, since it's available on, I believe it's Netflix, um, that... A recent Jennifer Lawrence film that came out, uh, um, No Hard Feelings. Um, it's supposed to be a comedy about she is a struggling person living in, um, she's in Montauk. And, of course, they deal, this goes back to those haves and have-nots. She's a local living in a town that is known for most of its uh Tourism and especially those with deep pockets that come in and do summer rentals and things like that. So Vermont, <laughs> it, it, exactly. It has that that feel to it. So uh, she's got her mother's house. She's struggling to to keep it. It's paid for, but she's got she literally can't make enough money to pay off the taxes on the house and may lose it over something as simple as paying the taxes on the house. She's getting her car repoed at the beginning of the movie, so she's down on her luck. She's kind of underemployed. The movie actually has a lot of economic messaging in it, but then it's supposed to go into this kind of absurd thing. A pair of helicopter parents feel their son is not really coming out of his shell um, lives a very sheltered, secluded life. It sounds like they pamper him too much. And they're trying to have somebody um, date him, quote-unquote. They mean have sex with him. Um, so it's a little absurd. They want, But they want somebody to help bring him into more of a social sense, but they're going about it in an absurd way. She wants really nothing to do with this, but they're offering a car to whoever uh, will do this. This sets up her need and then the absurdity of it. And of course, almost in the same vein as an 80s or 90s comedy, um, in the act of uh, dating this this kid and, and trying to set it up, he's not allowed to know 
that they've set this in motion. So, of course, it goes through the usual tropes where she starts. It's a little embarrassing getting the whole thing going. Um, of course, as she spends more time with him, she gets to know the real him. Um, she allows him to see a little bit of her. Uh, and then, of course, he finds out that this is all a setup of some kind. And then she does her utmost to try to repair what had happened. To its credit, it doesn't move in a direction where all of a sudden it turns into a happily ever after moment for them because that's not real. It's not realistic to begin with, but she's easily more than 10 years older than he is. And at that age, that's a big difference because mm-hmm. he's like 18, 19, and she's 30. So. Yeah. Little out of whack there, but they honor the fact that that is not the thing. It's actually a pretty decent movie. It's a fun watch. Uh, there's funny things to it, but what I wanted to really kind of get into is this movie. I remember it being promoted while it was going out into the theater, and this is where marketing goes wrong on things. Um, it sold it like it was going to be this crazy, hysterical, raunchy comedy, very dirty, and, and all that. And it wasn't. It was more thoughtful. It was genuinely funny when it was funny. It had some of those embarrassing moments that you you think of like with a raunchy comedy. But it actually, at its heart, despite the fact that there is a prolonged scene where she is naked... Um, that is not a sexual moment in any way, shape, or form. She is literally saving their clothes from being stolen on a beach as they're skinny dipping, and she is beating the shit out of people (laughs) naked. (laughs) It's an amazing scene. It's really cool, and you're like, okay, that's not what I was expecting to have happen. And, And I wonder how many movies either pro or con either got people in the door to see one thing only to have them see something else just because the production companies decided to go in a very specific way of marketing a a bait and switch uh yeah or not even a full appreciation of what it is that they're trying to put out there this could have probably gotten a lot more audiences i don't know how well it did so i didn't do any research i'm coming in this cold but I don't get the impression it did super well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they sold it as something it was completely not. Yeah, you run a real risk with that because you try to do something to try to get people in the seats. But if those people that go and sit in those seats and then watch the film are so annoyed that they're not getting what they were expecting, bad word of mouth is going to keep other people from putting those their butts in those seats exactly now if you managed to do something and it still ended up being a a lot of fun and everyone loved it great but i'm gonna say the former is probably more normal than the latter yeah like i remember from the previews that they, they kept presenting her character like she's like this dumb ditzy blonde getting herself into trouble for ill-gotten gains and that is not the story at all. It, 
it, it, it it's li- between the economic part and the fact that there's actually kind of a heartfelt story about a, a girl that can't give up um, her relationship with her past mother um, and her to the point where she's trying to stay in a town that has nothing to offer her <laughs> and she's doing that out of some sense of dedication and devotion to her family and they're selling this like this is just some sleazy comedy and like you, you did you didn't do this film any service and I think you could have gotten a larger audience if you had been a little more honest about what it was I yeah know. that's a shame and they probably knocked themselves out of uh, possibility of any uh, uh, awards. I'm, I'm not saying that this film could potentially be Oscar, you know, worthy or yeah. something like that. But the stories you're telling and the acting that could be available to be seen in this film, maybe it could have been. But no one's going to go see it. No one's going to care. No one's going to acknowledge it if you are marking it as a Van Wilder 2. Right. <laughs> and admittedly, having watched it and enjoyed it, but uh, does kind of defy interpretation. It's not fully a drama. It's not fully a comedy. It's not It's not a gross kind of comedy. Um, it, it, well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe the studio literally didn't know how to market it because a... It's not really any one thing movie right. is almost unmarketable. And it's funny because uh, I was listening um, to another uh, a conversation with some of the folks that are responsible for a movie that is out now called The, the Holdovers. Um, and that's a Paul Giamatti movie that is out. Um and it's a drama, and they were. Uh, what what really struck me during the conversation is they're trying really hard to drum up the business to get you to go to the theater because these independent films, these uh, films that don't that defy a specific genre and that aren't comic book and and and, uh, and franchise films, they're like. If you don't go see them, we can't make them. And I always have that argument in the back of my head. And it's like, I don't want to pay $20 to see something in a theater that I know I'll enjoy better on my couch at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I get the, the struggle there. But yeah, these movies that don't fit an 80s an 80s point of view of movie making which is where i feel like production companies and, and marketing companies that's their headspace that they still live in they they think of it as all that's 30 years ago and it's not <laughs> and, and i'm even being wrong because it's 40 years ago <laughs> yep <laughs> i wasn't gonna correct you because i don't like to think about that yeah i know but <laughs> Feeling, especially with all the stuff going on with streaming, uh, the way that movie theaters have to change, the kind of movies that are available and all that, there's something's going to come to a head again, something soon-ish, that that's going to rattle the cages of everything because it's not sustainable the way it is, but we're getting good content. It's just not... Not necessarily being promoted properly, and it's not being handled correctly because they're 
the marketing and the finances of it all go sideways in a hurry. I think it's got to be a, a tough sell for studios because the films like that are typically the films that are gonna you're gonna find at more of the art house theaters. Yes. Uh, the not the major, one, but <laughs> yeah, the major big theaters are gonna have the latest uh, superhero extravag, you know, special effects extravaganza, uh, or they're gonna have the latest raunchy comedy, or they're gonna have the latest uh, gross out horror. They're not necessarily gonna have, or maybe they'll have it on a screen in the back, you know, in, in the megaplex or something. And and I kind of I, I understand and I agree with you that like. I want that kind of content to be out there. Those are the, the good stories. I like a movie that tells a good story. Yeah. But you're right. I'm not spending $20 to see that in the theater. I'm going to spend my $20 for the horror, for the special effects, extravagant, you know. That's a spectacle. And I need big and big sound, big screen. I need the spectacle in the spot where there's a spectacle. Right. Now, if you could... Ha- throttle it so that there's either availability for smaller screens at lower prices where I can go see these things, like an old art house theater. That'd be great. I'd take that up, but yeah. Um, there, there has to be a little breakdown. There has to be thing. Either that or build it into the streaming services. Hey, this is definitely your at-home film. Make me pay for that to see it before before it's released to just streaming in general. I might actually like you tell me it's going to cost me five ten bucks to, to, to watch a first run film and this is the only way that you can get it so that you can watch it. I would actually find myself supporting those films more financially. That, that would be an interesting experiment to see how something like that would go. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because I want that stuff. Uh, 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 like you said, a good story is a good story. I'll I'll sit down to hear your good story no matter what, but I don't necessarily need the giant venue to hear your story. And tell me it's a good story. Don't lie to me <laughs> that it's something that it's not. <laughs> right, yeah, no. Uh, mar- market it sincerely. <laughs> I want to see good acting, good storytelling, good production value and, and I will pay to do so but I mean I want to pay appropriately <laughs> alright anything else <laughs> I think that rant will, will, will do for the moment <laughs> yeah yeah I don't I don't have anything else either the only um, thing I would add is um, Jennifer Lawrence I know you're an avid listener if you want to come on and talk about the film and, and your perspective on how it was marketed I'm happy to be there for you I would love to talk to Jennifer Lawrence because, yeah, Cheers is, a, I think, a very interesting career. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of it, seeing her in any other film, she's probably as uh, real a person in the Hollywood venue that you'll come across. To oh, absolutely. No, I have seen uh, clips of her on, like, red carpets where she is just starstruck with the people that are around her. I've read interviews with her, and I'm thinking... This is like talking to someone that lives down the street from me. Yeah, like I could see a conversation about any of her films devolving into, hey, what do you like? (laughs) It it would just become a conversation. So She's kind of a local girl from uh, my neck of the woods. I believe she uh, she was born. 
Kentucky, I Kentucky, thought. Kentucky, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, okay, one of us might be wrong. <laughs> or, or both of us. Or both but. of us are wrong, and, and someone can cor correct us. Uh, Jennifer, come on the show. Cor tell us all about where you're from, what you do. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll just sit and chat. I think that would be awesome. I like this plan. Let's do this plan. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I would definitely. She is definitely on uh, high on my list of uh, celebs that I, I I'd like to interview yeah no that'd be fantastic so hopefully she'll listen to this and she'll come approach us well she's probably not on any social media anymore because she's smart <laughs> I can't tag her <laughs> no no but all of her friends will tell her yeah yeah exactly all right, well, that'll wrap it for the top half of the show. Let's take a break. We will listen to a promo for another podcast. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's 2011 film, Sucker Punch. Ahoy! My name is Adam. And I'm Nick. And this is the Bottom of the Stream Podcast. A never-ending quest to find hidden movie gems on Netflix. <laughs> uh, every week we watch a random movie that we find on the stream, and we talk about it for about an hour. Uh, yeah, but as well as that, we round up the news of the week, and uh, we usually mention what we've been watching at the top of the stream. Yeah, so if you're into Netflix and you enjoy watching stuff on there, give us a listen. Join us aboard our podcast boat as we navigate the perilous water. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I lost everyone I've ever loved. Then they locked me away. With nowhere to hide from the pain. your own paradise. Just let go. What you're imagining right now, you control this world. What are you looking for? A way out. I'm going to help you to be free. You will need to find five items. The first is a map. Then fire, then a knife, and a key. The fifth thing is a mystery. Begin your journey. It will set you free. If you 
don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Sucker Punch is a psychological fantasy film directed and co-written by Zack Snyder. The film stars Emily Browning, Abby Cornish, Jenna Malone, Vanessa Hudson, and Oscar Isaac with an appearance from Scott Glenn. Sucker Punch is described by Zack Snyder as Alice in Wonderland with machine guns. (laughs) In the film, a woman passes away leaving her daughters in the care of an abusive stepfather. In a drunken rage, he attacks the daughters. The oldest defends her sister with a gun and accidentally kills her sister. The stepfather has the young woman committed to a psychiatric hospital and pays off an unscrupulous orderly to have her lobotomized. The girl escapes into a series of fantasy worlds where she and her and the other female inmates navigate hazardous missions to obtain the items they'll need to escape their imprisonment. This film operates on three levels. The reality of the Linux hospital run by Dr. Gorski with the cruel orderly Blue. Then a sub-reality where the hospital setting shifts into a brothel run by Blue where Gorski is a dance instructor and madam. And then Dream Worlds, where action sequences are removed from time and space and include the trenches of World War I with undead, steam-powered German soldiers, a castle housing a dragon that is guarded by orc-like creatures, and a train carrying a bomb protected by robotic soldiers. We may be led people to believe that we're looking forward to watching this. Mm -hmm. That is not a lie. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. <laughs> I did. I do enjoy this film, and actually, I want to get into you. You did a very solid synopsis, but there are some subtleties that you missed in the synopsis that I think are important to the, okay. the story of this. For instance, well, let's lead. Let's 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 talk about that because I think I definitely did not bury the lead when. when <laughs> no. When I started talking about it, so let's back up a little bit. This could be very much me giving it far more credit than it deserves. Uh, I've been known to do that on occasion, but if I like it, then I'm going with what's in my head. So, um, one of the points that you made was the the, the drunken attack by the stepfather. Um, the part you left off is where the the mother dies. One could presume under suspect circumstances, given that it's a very dark entry into this. And there is a viewing of the will that states basically everything goes to the daughters. Correct. Which is the impetus for the the drunken attack and all that, and where our stepfather in question... um, Actually, he's fairly happy with the outcome of a baby doll attacking, accidentally killing her sister, and then being allowing him to be in a situation where now he can put her away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, a little tidbit early on um, when baby doll is entering the thing where she has her vision with Scott Glenn. Um, who tells her she's going to need five things to to escape this situation. Um, and one of them, it, it, he essentially kind of lets the cat out of the bag, more or less, but tells her, 
The fifth is going to involve you, and it's going to involve sacrifice. But, in the end, there will be a very sweet and un... Uh, a, a very... There will be justice, essentially, that cannot be undone. And if we jump ahead to the end, the fact that she is in in the um, asylum and is lobotomized, she is both alive and dead at the same time, so he can't get anything more out of her. She is alive and has accomplished her goal, and he can't get a single dime out of that thing. And, and that is me packaging it in a very tight ball. Uh, Interesting. You have to get into the rest of the film to get to the good stuff or, or the bad stuff, depending on your point of view. But if you take all of those little elements, this is a very insidious little tale that has a dark start and a dark ending, more or less. But there is justice. It's just not the justice you might have hoped for. Great. Interesting. Well... I went through about three or four different versions of that synopsis yeah, when I'm I was sure writing. Yeah, sure that you did. <laughs> because it's like, well, how, do I explain this? Do I go into this detail? Well, if I go into that much detail of that, do I need to go into this much detail of this? I, I <laughs> yeah, I went back and forth, and I, I, I trimmed it down to literally the basics. You, you, you did <laughs> no, and it, it was a fair summarization. It, it's just this is a complicated movie. It's not really. Um, I did like that, uh, and, and as I was reading up on it, I, this is like Zack Snyder's first um, non-licensed. Uh, this is an original. Yeah, yeah. This is this was his first, um, not already done by somebody else first uh, property. Right, and it is a complicated thing, and we can get into the the misogyny, the sexism, and all of that that is related, and all of those arguments will be valid. Uh, I mean, it, it, this is sex on a stick as a movie. Um, so if you're in it for just the eye candy and the violence, you're going to get it. It's there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Despite the fact that it's a, it, it is a PG-13 rated movie. And interestingly, I did a quick search on my Roku, and... When I told it I wanted to find Sucker Punch, it actually presented me with the option of an R-rated version. There is an extended version that I believe carries an R rating. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that we watched. We, no, I know, I, know I didn't, didn't watch that watch one. That one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little extended. It's a little over two hours long. Mm. Um, the one we watched comes in about an hour Forty or so. Yeah. So yeah, that does have like some extended scenes. I'm not entirely sure what's included in that. Actually, before we go any further, uh, you were talking about what this film includes. You know, you're right. It, you know, the misogyny, the sexism, um, the, the 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 eye candy and everything. I want to read a, uh, a snippet from a interview with Zack Snyder. It was actually on the Variety.com just this past August. Okay where he was talking, they went back and talked about the film. First of all, uh, the extended cut is still is not the desired version of the film, oh, according to Zack Snyder. Yes. 
Uh, apparently there's complication over film rights, so it makes it kind of uncertain as to whether or not we'll ever see a director's cut. Gotcha. But he still wants to do one. Okay. But in this uh, interview with Variety, uh, Snyder said that it was a very polarizing film. To be frank, the people have run across who have come to me and said, Sucker Punch is my favorite movie, are normally angsty teenage girls. It's like a Morrissey song or something. (laughs) I've never gotten around to doing the director's cut. I still plan to at some point. But in the original ending, when Baby Doll is in the chair in the basement with Blue, she's already been lobotomized. When the cop shines a light on her, the set breaks apart and she stands up and she sings a song on stage. (laughs) I, I have to admit... I want to see this. Uh, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> want to see that, but I don't know how that necessarily adds to anything. No, not yet. Let me finish reading this. Sure. She sings, Oh, child, things are going to get easier, oh. Snyder continued. Blondie and all the people that have been killed join in, and it's the idea that in a weird way, even though she's lobotomized, she's kind of stuck in this infinite loop of euphoric victory. It's weirdly not optimistic and optimistic at the same time. That's the kind of what the tone was at the end. We tested it, and the studio thought it was too weird, so we changed it. (laughs) I feel like the main criticism of the film was that it was too exploitative, Snyder said. People took the movie as if girls fighting and all that stuff was the movie. I find that slightly disheartening. It's talking directly to them about what they want to see. They want to see the girls. They don't want to see the girls empowered. They want to see them in sexy outfits. That was the whole thing to me. I always thought it was interesting when people would review the movie and say, it's exploitive. It's like, he says, it's like an anti-war movie that gets the war too good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did have incredibly lovely women. Oh, no, absolutely. But his point right here is like, you're seeing it for the women. You're not seeing the story that the women are telling. Right. And or, or the reason that the women are like that. You're not seeing that. Well, and, and I think it's being lost on a few people. And you did a very solid breakdown about how this is essentially three worlds in one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that is actually lost on on some of the audience. I, I, like, I think they fundamentally get what's happening, but they're so focused on the, the sex appeal and the violence that they aren't seeing the sex appeal and violence part is how, in this case, Baby Doll is masking the pain of where she's at. (laughs) This is her escapism. And actually, because of the, and he did it very effectively, and I think people miss it. The almost entire sum total of this movie takes place in... The distance of time it takes the needle that is pointing at her eye socket and the hammer striking the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's all of this entire movie takes place while she's being lobotomized. And apparently sort of as a flashback because we find out that some of the events are mirrored in reality yes like the 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 fire the stabbing of the orderly all all that she has uh, she has while in her time there and probably with those girls set set in motion an opportunity to try to escape that obviously did not go as planned and then her mind is elaborately constructing this other stuff 
in the moments to which, whether she was doing that while she was actively in the asylum or in this moment just before she loses her own mental faculties through a lobotomy, um, either way, that's the moment. We're getting all of this fantasy and all of the stuff. It's all how her brain is trying to cope with the total tragedy that is her life. Yes, the film itself, the story in the film has levels. Mm-hmm. I think the film itself has levels that people don't see. They can't see the message that's that I believe Snyder is trying to tell mm-hmm. through this film. And I think he actually pretty much spells it out in the very end with Sweet Pea's closing lines. Who honors those we love for the very life we live? Who sends monsters to kill us? And at the same time sings that we'll never die? Who teaches us what's real? And how to laugh at lies? Who decides why we live and what we'll die to defend? Who chains us? And who holds the key that can set us free? You have all the weapons you need. Now fight. Now when that line, when she says it's you, I think she's talking to the audience. Mm -hmm. I think she is saying, you've seen this. You've seen scanty clad women fighting Nazis and in mechs and and you've seen uh, violence and you've seen sexism, you've seen misogyny, you've seen all this. Is this what you want to see in your films? Mm -hmm. If this is what you want to see, you have the weapons. Your weapon, your movie-going dollar. Yep. You've got the weapons. So if if you want better in your theaters, you want... We were talking at the start of the show. If you want to see good stories in your film, you don't want to see, you know, just the the, the spectacles mm-hmm. and the and the uh, the women are always the damsel in distress. If you don't want to see that, don't go to that movie. Right. Don't go to the theaters. That's your weapons. Yeah. I I think that's what this film was. This was Snyder going. What kind of movies do you want me to make? Right. People just saw this film and went, oh, this is just. It's just an excuse. This is just his wet dream fantasy. I'm like, you're missing the point. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and that's that's my takeaway from this. This is it's a deeper, more meta conversation happening in this film, and that I don't think most of the audience ever caught on to. No, I, I think most critics didn't catch on to. No, and when we get into that, they really, really kind of didn't. I do really enjoy this film, and but it is a crazy surreal mind f mess absolutely but i like that kind of stuff <laughs> my, my love for that stuff goes back to shows that came out in the 60s uh <laughs> I, I like how weird and crazy shows like the prisoner are does it make sense does it work would it would it work in the real world absolutely not but damn it it's fun to watch and if anything, that's probably my critique and part of why it doesn't necessarily hit is uh, 
because when it gets into its action sequences, it, he he makes a fair point in that that recent interview you just discussed. Um, he may have done some of those too well that you seem to get caught in the that that's that's the story, and it's not it like. I don't think people are latching on to the, like, they, they list their four things that they need to get. And the adventure part that you see is is just her brain working through what was far more mundane process to get a lighter, a knife, a map. Um, mm-hmm. She She's concocting this elaborate thing, and that's the spectacle that we're seeing and because it is so good, the, the action is solid. The fight sequences are amazing. Uh, some of the uh, various really off-the-hook ideas, like the notion of fighting steam-driven clockwork, not, uh, not, not even Nazis. They are Germans because this is World War One, not two. Right. Um, the, the, these zombie-not-German uh, uh, soldiers... While they also have access to highly sophisticated mech technology, but but they're also fighting with a combination of swords and guns. I mean, none of this should be happening. None of it makes sense. It's amazing to watch, and I think they, a lot of the audience and the critics think that's the point, that's the story, focus on that, and like, no, that's her brain going all goofy. Trying mm-hmm. to make sense of the horribleness that, that she is living through. And I think where he lost people is that part was so well done and so focused that when he doesn't drift enough to the horror that is being in the insane asylum. Yeah, that's true, because we spend very little time in the actual asylum. Right. It, it almost immediately goes... It melts away almost as quickly as it came in. No, that's that's true. I, I don't know. I... It would have been kind of interesting to see a little bit more in the asylum, see her envisioning herself in the her own, you know, false reality, and then that sub-reality, and see one blend to another to blend to another. Maybe that was an idea, and maybe that was themed that it would be too complicated for you know the audience are maybe having are going to have a hard time figuring out what the hell is going on as it is no i like i can think of a couple of things that you could do to maybe kind of drive some of this more home but i actually think as much as i think it would explain something to other people it would take away from what i like about it i don't want to over explain it because i like unraveling the puzzle in my own head of what I just saw. I mean, the layers of fantasy in this thing on top of it. And and one might even make the argument that any of the stuff that we saw before she went into the asylum may also be another version of fantasy in her head. Mm, I like to think that that is reality. Although it is, I think, kind of hyper-realized reality. It's not our reality, but it's the reality of this film. No, 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 no. I, I, I get that the dark, but I mean, she has even over-dramatized that, I think. That's part of her brain. And I tie that all in to the fact that none of these characters have real names. 
that nobody goes by a name. She's Baby Doll. Blondie is a brunette. Uh, Sweet Pea is... We don't even know why. Rocket, we don't know why. Amber is not Amber. Uh, she... <laughs> uh, and even the ones that have names, they're just too strange. Like Blue or... Dr. Vera Gorski. She's the only one with a real name, but it is so out there that it, 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 it it's like, I am your villain, but maybe not kind of character. <laughs> Just, but I do the, the same way that you're saying. These, these are real kind of put your, you need to put as much of you into this as the movie is trying to put into you. Um, in order to kind of really fully enjoy it, and it's not a cold watch. It's not a, it's not a just sit there and kind of let it run kind of thing. No, you need to kind of be in it. There's definitely uh, in this household anyway, uh, both sides. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife watched a lot of this with me. It was kind of one of these things where she was watching, but she was also playing on her phone. Sure. But in, in the end, she's you know I'm trying to explain. You know, no, 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 there's all these levels. And, and see, this is actually a message saying that, that you know, all this sexism and, and, and everything is, is really, it's there for a reason. And, the, and she's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> she's not buying it. No. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> and I think that is an argument. There's, there's two sides to people on this film, and that tends to be... Um, what happens is one person is trying like our, like ourselves are trying to explain no that's there as 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 a commentary about movies and geek culture and and everything and everyone else is going yeah no no i don't think so <laughs> no or there you forgot the the little the edge to that coin which is those that love the movie but for all the wrong reasons <laughs> Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're literally the ones that we think Schneider is trying to say, no, that's not the point. <laughs> you're, right. You're not supposed to want this. <laughs> but you do. But because you do is why I made this. Because you exist. I can sell this to you and you're going to love it. But I don't want you to love it. <laughs> there are probably a lot of fans of this film that don't realize that Snyder was a essentially punking them right. with this film. <laughs> he, he, he's telling you you're wrong and you're bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's unfortunate. You know, Snyder tries to... He makes this film, he tries to tell that message, and when you have critics pretty much saying, oh, this is just some fanboy's you know, wet dream, yeah. you know, what do you do? You, how do you argue that? <laughs> <laughs> it's and unfortunately for Snyder, I think it's an unwinnable argument. He can say what he was trying to do, but there is just going to be too many critics that tell him, "No, you're wrong. That's not what you did." Right? <laughs> How? Why are you telling me what I that I'm wrong? <laughs> Zach needs to own that he may have missed the mark. Um, and, and there are times even in the film, I I I, I get where. He may have missed the mark because, like, like I said, the parts that are really action-oriented, he did them well. But I mean, it makes it, it makes the rest of the story bleed away in, mm. in some fashion. So, 
Um, I get that. I, I actually do while I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, I'm totally into this war picture part. And I'm like, but this isn't about the war picture. This is her brain dealing with her trauma. And we get to enjoy this lovely spectacle. But she is basically losing her mind right now. Literally losing her mind. It is. It's 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 a it's a weird one, and I'll I'll admit it that it's it's hard to find the words to defend it. It it is because here's the thing. Like I I have watched this, and, and I remember watching it and liking it, and and, and I think getting it. Um, I mean, need Zach Zach, feel free, come on. <laughs> I'm always. <laughs> I, I know you're a big fan. Well, He's also high on my list. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, but but no, seriously, I, I I can't even fully say, like, any critic that is admonishing him for not knowing what it is that he was trying to do, I can't say that I 100% know what all of his intentions were. I think I've got a good idea. But because of that, it makes it... It's not a regular watch. It's not a rewatch a dozen times because because I get it the way that I get it. It's dark. It's hard. It's it's telling me some of the things that I probably very uh, lizard brain enjoy in, in a film. It's not really what you're supposed to enjoy in the film. And so I don't. I don't need to be preached to on a regular basis, but I can appreciate the message. No. No, I think... I remember watching it way back when, when it first came to, like, home video or, or something like that, and I remember hearing those closing lines from Sweet Pea, mm-hmm. and I remember even then going, that is Zach talking to me. Mm-hmm. That is Zach talking to the audience. And I remember trying to explain that and tell other people that, and them going... I think you're reading into that. <laughs> I think you're reading too much. I think you're giving him too much credit. <laughs> so I remember come from nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember years ago trying to fight this fight. Yeah. No, I, I get that, and 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 here a, a valid critique of that is Sweet Pete is supposed to play more into this, and, and that there's even that passing. Um, the story's not mine. This story is yours. Um, and that's Baby Doll's departing thing as she knows she's going to be hauled away if not killed. But because we get so little of that real, uh, of any good closure at the end, and Sweet Pea's not, not in it till about halfway into the film, more or less. <laughs> I mean, not until we've gotten deep into being in the asylum. Um, I think that part kind of maybe misses its mark a little bit. That's the only thing I can kind of really throw in there is I I, I like that element. I like that we watched somebody else's story up to this point and no, she's a feature in this other person's story. This is just the snippet of the tale that you're going to get and if I didn't go through what I went through she can't go through what she's going to go through. And that's just an allegory for life. We, mm-hmm. we all in our own head think we're, we're the lead in our own story, but everybody else has their own story. So at some point, you're just a bit character. 
Um, right. And this movie goes over that a little bit, too. And I, I think that goes over most people's heads. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I get... I, I'm sure there are elements to this movie that I've probably missed. Sure. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it. No. Um, but what I do get and what I think I understand, I, I love the hell out mm-hmm. of Absolutely. And yes, there is, as you put it, the lizard brain in me <laughs> that still likes looking at what I'm seeing. Oh, yeah, no. The, the, the women are pretty. The action is intense. Uh, there's robots. There's trains. There's dragons. I mean, if you've got giant something samurai. that you... Don't forget the giant samurai. The giant samurai. Uh, in fact, actually, that's one of my favorite sequences, both because I like that Bjork song. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's incredibly appropriate to the scene. Um, but I, I, I love that there's three to fight, and after she's wiped out the first two, the third one actually steps back when she comes out of the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Bjork. I've really kind of noticed the soundtrack this time this viewing through yes uh the soundtrack is great it's none of the songs are original no but most of them are covers yes um emily browning apparently sings several of the songs herself oh really yeah which i did not know i didn't i thought that's very interesting and very cool so another in a way sort of another yet level to the (laughs) meta-ness <laughs> of this film. Well, yeah, because if she's singing the song she's performing to, which are only happening in her brain to begin with, yeah. <laughs> it's right. just more of her personality coming out, mm-hmm. but only inside her own mind. Mo- yeah, it's a it's a real mind F. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Throwing this to social media, I did get some responses. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, uh, not a ton, but uh, enough that I was I was pleasantly, you know, I was very pleased. Yeah. Uh, so over on Facebook, I did ask the question, is it as shallow and exploitative as it seems, or is there something more hiding beneath the surface? And Steve Sullivan says that he hated this when it first came out, yet I find it weirdly fascinating, though I haven't watched it all the way through again. <laughs> so this is a film he didn't like it when he saw it but he thinks about it <laughs> he finds it fascinating let, even though he didn't like the film Steve let it open your mind revisit it <laughs> yeah, I would actually recommend revisiting it uh, Jeff Owen says that he really liked it the one time he watched it I wondered why there was so much hate for it if I recall the soundtrack is really good and that I happened to comment to him like you know, I noticed the soundtrack. I'm sure I didn't pay any attention to it the first time I watched it. For some reason, this time it really jumped out for me. And yeah, I absolutely love the I, soundtrack. Because of the soundtrack, I actually turned it up while oh, I was yeah, watching. Good. I wanted it to thud. <laughs> Kevin Brewer says that it's an underrated gem. Said extended cut is so good, and the <clears throat> shorts narrated by Keith David are strong. Now I don't know anything about these shorts. I have no. got to look that kind of that up. Yeah, that I, I, I'll actually revisit that very short, shortly. Uh, Justin McLean, love this flick. 
first, the visuals. I'm a sucker for style. I also love the disassociation the girls show when they enter into their respective traumas. Love the writing and direction, obviously the cinematography. Probably my favorite part is the action sequences played out like scenarios I would have had in my head as a child playing with my action figures. Not the sex stuff, just the actual action scenes. So I felt like I was watching something I would have come up with a 10, which may or may not be a stellar selling point. <laughs> Last but not least, Scott Glenn. Who doesn't love this guy? Indeed. Excellent point. <laughs> yeah, that's a solid point. Yeah, like uh, when that man starts talking, you just bolt upright and go, yes, sir, tell me more. Yep, Scott Glenn makes his cameo appearances in this film as the wise man. And absolutely brilliant. He brings this, this a whole nother, just, it just adds another notch to this film. I love him in this. Well, and if you want to really screw with your head, he is essentially in Baby Doll's Every Vision. Mm-hmm. She's never seen him. Yes, that's true. He's the bus driver at the end of the movie. <laughs> right. It makes you wonder, were we really watching Baby Doll's Imagination, or was this Sweet Peas? And that... that <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's all... I'm wondering if you need to be on something while you watch it to, to let it to let it really flow through you. It just suddenly suddenly, you know, it could just make sense. You know, Sweet Pete is in an insane asylum. We don't know why she's there. She may be insane. Her her sister is this her sister and her friends were murdered. Her her, her one friend that helped her actually get out lobotomized. I have no trouble wrapping my head around the notion that this is all some fever dream of hers to yeah. just have her brain sort through this trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, the next commenter, I'm sorry I don't know the proper way to pronounce your name. Sam Eplicek, I'm going to go with. And please, if you listen, correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Uh, write us, let me know. They say it's a thing of beauty, and that opening sequence is seriously one of the most captivating cinematic sequences of tragic storytelling I have ever seen. Absolutely agree with that. Talking about the actual scene, uh, uh, the, the death of a mom, mm-hmm. and the, the, the stepfather, and all that. It, no dialogue is spoken through the fir- for the first, what, five, ten minutes of the film. Right. Uh, our star of the film doesn't have her first word until, I think, almost 20 minutes in. Right. I'm going to add to that because we had I'm going to use this as a moment to comment on that. One of my favorite things um, is right after the the lobotomy, they never showed her lobotomized. They never show they didn't even show her face until the absolute last moment she is on screen. Mm -hmm. And even when they do. It is her dream state face. She's made up, the pigtails are in and tight, everything's clean. So at no point do you see the puncture mark from the, uh, that or what would be clearly bloodshot eye at this right. stage. No, we see the uh, the imagined version of her and I'm like, that just kind of sent chills through me. I'm like, 
Why won't they show her face? Why won't they show her face? And when we do, <laughs> she's not even real. And she's like, completely serene. Yes. yes. Uh, like, yeah, that, it's just good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then we got one comment over on Spoutable. Uh, D. Sharbal says, It doesn't work for me, but I think it's one of Zack Snyder's more interesting movies. Looks good, scores bananas, actors going for it, a good popcorn movie. More than the more lizard brain kind of <laughs> kind of feelings, but I get it. I get it. Own your truth. <laughs> I am dying to hear what the critics of the time thought of this film. I have actively avoided any uh, preview of this. As, as well, you should have. Uh, I, I, I'm starting in the good space. Uh, Los Angeles Times, Betsy Sharkey. A wonderfully wild provocation, an imperfect, overlong, intemperate, and utterly absorbing romp through the id that wouldn't have missed, that I wouldn't have missed for the world. So, I, I love the use of the word id there. The, um, that <laughs> Betsy is really getting that this is a travel through your own consciousness um this is not meant to be literal by any stretch of the imagination um empire uh i didn't get a author for this one uh ambitious and visually impressive as a pop video mashup but lacking a strong emotional core it doesn't quite cohere as a fully satisfying movie okay interesting interesting um i the emotional core, I think you missed the first part of the movie. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he came in late getting popped. I, I, I guess, but I, I can get the fully satisfying part. That, that For some, that can be hard. So mm -hmm. I get that. Um, Entertainment Weekly, Lisa Schwartzbaum. Uh, the music screeches, the actors vamp, the knives and weapons and bombs and fireballs fly around the screen. Meanwhile, the well-prepared moviegoer slips into her or his own private fantasy of a world in which movie effects are themselves locked away in an institution for the criminally insane until such time as those effects are really, truly necessary for the story. Lot to say, but I'm not really sure where she's going with that. That. No, I honestly, I don't think she had a lot to say. I think she used a lot of words, but didn't actually say anything. Yeah, that's why I included this one, because um, I get that this movie could be confusing for folks, and that was a very confusing <laughs> review. <laughs> but that was in the nice middle of the road. Now we're going to go slip into darkness. Um, okay. Chicago Tribune, Michael Phillips. Snyder must have known in pre-production that his greasy collection of near-rape fantasies and violent revenge scenarios disguised as female empowerment fairy tale wasn't going to satisfy anyone but himself. Yeah, now see that? I I hate to be one of those people that say you didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know I've said this before as other criticisms, perhaps, but in that particular case... You didn't get it. You never looked beyond the surface of this film. Right. Yeah, no, they, they lived in those action sequences and the 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 burlesque show and never made mm -hmm. it. They never made it back to reality. No. <laughs> 
So, New York Times, A.O. Scott, uh, eliminated all of the, but, but, but there is nothing here to enjoy beyond the tiny satisfaction in nothing that the movie lives up to its name. So, okay. he feels he got sucker punched. Yep. And actually, I'm going to take a moment with that one. It does call into question why the choice sucker punch for the title of this film. I I think it's Zack Snyder sucker punching the audience. And, and, and that could be fair, in which case, this guy got it right, but not right. <laughs> <laughs> sucker punch wasn't part of the title for the reason, but you got hit in the wrong spot. <laughs> Next time, don't take it to the groin, dude. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I would. I want to hear from him on that point alone. Why? Why? I, I get it. If that's if that's what you're going for, I get it. But was that? Is it? Is that what you wanted? So. I thought I read an article somewhere about why the film was called Sucker Punch. And I wish I had more time to do research for these yeah. things. Cause All right, and I, and I, I, just, I just found it. Uh, the title Sucker Punch is not explained in the film. I'm reading this from uh, Wiki, but it is a, uh, it is at least something that is uh, got uh, credit. So okay, it's from an article from the Holland Sentinel. Sentinel. Yes. Uh, uh, Snyder has said that there are two meanings. There's a mechanism in the movie that sneaks up on you. We sort of plant the seed of this thing, and then at the end of the movie, it kind of comes back around. I think that in some ways, that's what the sucker punch is. Talking about um, baby doll is going to have to, you know, it's going to involve sacrifice, and at the end of the film, it's her sacrifice. Right. All right. But also, you, the audience, have like a preconceived idea when you look at Baby Doll. You think she's innocent and sweet, and she's capable of only a certain amount of things. But I think that's a mistake. So that has something to do with the title too. Okay. Uh, possibly, possibly. But I, I, I think there's definitely more of. Yeah, you think you're here for an action film with, you know, nothing more than an action film with pretty people and. Guess what? Message, sucker punch. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that's one of those things where you'd love to just get into a nice, deep conversation with him about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta find out if there's, like, a, uh, you know, reach out, contact Zack Snyder. <laughs> I definitely just, like, Mr. Snyder, just want to talk about this film. And, and this gets at the heart of uh, why do people go make movies? Like, I get... Uh, I get the the chasing of money and celebrity, but when when you get started, a lot of them consider themselves an artist, and I feel like this is more art than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a really great. He'd be a fascinating person to have that conversation mm-hmm. with. Is you know, why do you make the movies? And then when you make a movie like this, that gets critically hand for the most part box office considered a box office bomb it barely made its budget back where does that sit and how does that sit with you as an artist right and everyone that was involved in this film apparently loved working in this film I, uh, some some of the actors have said literally the favorite best thing they've ever worked on 
Yeah. I, God, I, and I, while I was sitting here with IMDb up and you're talking about that, I'm looking at a picture of John Hamm and I'm just struck. <laughs> I'm struck at his scene. Like, mm-hmm. the high roller and, and the very evil nature of what they were trying to get at and the way he portrayed it and the words that he was given to say and how it made you go even the even the baby doll character is, is succumbing to some of this and there is a lot of artistry in that moment and it's so it's so dark it's so terrible but it comes off as almost romantic and that's wrong and i think that's part of what this movie wanted you to feel (laughs) all right well i think that is all we're gonna have to say about sucker punch at this point uh if you have any additional comments please fire us an email at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or follow the link in the show notes to all the social media sites and leave your comments there next time when we come back we are definitely uh, first of all this film looks fantastic i think we didn't say the words but i think we definitely hinted at it it looks pretty no matter how you uh, how you slice it indeed Uh, and while we're on the side of this film we get why some are not (laughs) yep absolutely next episode we are going to talk about another film that i think looks gorgeous and then had a hell of a time at the box office in the theaters we're going to look at 2012's john carter and this is actually going to dovetail nicely into the, what you were talking about earlier in this episode about marketing a film. <laughs> yes, indeed. This one, Disney had it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we will get into that in two weeks. Uh, for now, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. See ya.